Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 110 of Midweek Metagame. I'm Herring TG, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Where is he? His mic's muted. Ah, very good. Should we start? <laughs> nah, we ain't starting again. Uh, well, that's that's who I am. <laughs> Some idiot. Mike muted Pat, and we're also joined by hopefully unmuted Gabriel Nassif. Hey, what's up, everyone? What a ho ho ho! Merry Christmas. Sorry, that was, that was quite cringe, but ho- hopefully everyone listening has had a good Christmas if you do celebrate. And I'm guessing. Oh well, we hope you have a good New Year's. This hopefully will come out before January first of 2022 but um we're not here today to talk about our celebrations we're here today to talk about magic because that's more important in our lives so what we know is this week we're talking about modern and also a bit of cube now i believe only pat and i've played a lot of modern as gab has been practicing cube over the past few week and a bit i guess um so we're going to be looking more at the challenges this week because i think uh, we we don't really look at the challenges much anymore since we're doing a lot of testing and guess. Well, we're kind of going to our old classic format today and really digging into the challenges and then talking about Vintage Cube towards the end of the episode. But as always, before we get into anything, the podcast is brought to you by Card Market. They sponsor the cast. For those who don't know what that is, it's a marketplace online to buy anything card game related. Doesn't have to be Magic the Gathering. You can get singles, accessories, deck boxes, play mats, sleeves, anything you can think of card game related for Magic the Gathering. Doesn't even have to be that. You can do Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, anything. Go check them out. Cardmarker.com, cardmarker.eu. They sponsor the cast. We love them. I can't gas them up enough. I even stream on their Twitch sometimes. Look, we love Card Market. You can just go check it out. I'm sure you're getting me bored of me saying that. But to if you personally would like to support the podcast alongside others then you can go support us through the patreon no pressure to do so but that's the best place at patreon.com slash midweek metagame feels so good to be back after a few weeks break for me at least but i'm not here to do the intro anymore i'm here to talk about modern so who wants to start off well right. i didn't play okay. modern so you guys should go ahead yeah oh, right. okay no worries well okay I haven't played a massive amount, but I've been watching what's going on. And uh, I think that there's some cool stuff in the challenge results from uh, the 26th. So this is kind of like not quite the, the degenerate challenge. This is like the Boxing Day challenge. And I think the most interesting thing is obviously just a first place list, which on the surface looks like just straight modern white hammer time. But then you get a little bit deeper and they have like multiple main deck pro red creatures. So they have like three Barton Forge Tender and two Sanctifier and Vec. They have no Lurus. Because they have access to Nettle Cyst and Caldera Complete uh, for their Stoneforge Mystic package. And then you go to the sideboard, and they just have four Mana League. Like it's just, I, I can't, I don't know what to say about this deck other than they certainly got some things in mind. Um, obviously, quite, quite kind of like targeted against uh, the burn decks. Like burns been pretty popular in the challenges and doing quite well over the last few weeks. Uh, there's been an upswing of kind of like a Boros deck, which actually came in second place of this tournament as well, that you know, we'll probably discuss a little bit later. Do you guys see any other reasons for why you would kind of choose to take this, choose to go down this route for Hammer rather than a kind of more conventional route where you're like going to play Lurus and doing the kind of more conventional things? Well, first off, I did see Misplaced Ginger playing this deck because he's the top contender for the trophy race right now on Magical Line, but 
you know, this came first in the challenge, and no, Loris, okay, fine, because you're utilizing Stoneforge Mystic, but what I don't get about this blue splash is they're not playing, like, you're choosing Mana Leak over Teferi Time Raveler. Uh, to me, like, also, you're playing Mana Leak, I'm guessing, well, I don't get it, because if you're playing Mana Leak to tackle removal, wouldn't you play Spell Pierce? And, or, or, or if you're saying you're tackling like blue decks maybe mystical i i a mystical dispute i i don't i actually don't understand mana leak over to fairy one mana more or like spell pierce one mana less two mana to me seems like a lot of mana in in uh in hammer time to be playing four mana leak in the sideboard i personally don't get it yeah i'm not sure it synergized as well was the aid i guess the instant speed with stoneforge mystic but it is it is really weird, and Nolurus definitely definitely always a little sketched out by Nolurus. But Fortune there was really good against Grixis. Grixis is the between Grixis and and just blue red Murktai. That's just such a huge percentage of the field right now. So Fortune their main deck might make sense. Yeah, I I like Fortune in general as a card. I mean it's. It's pretty powerful, and like like you said, like the best removal is obviously red. It blocks uh, dash. It doesn't block Death Shadow, but it blocks the Ragaband and uh, you know all day. I guess you can suit it up pretty straightforward. And if you're going to be going leaning into more of this equipment package, like you're trying to like put cranial platings, nettle cysts, sort of fire and ice on your creatures, you know, fortunate is a pretty good one there to make sure you don't get blown out by some kind of you know, cheap interaction. I was thinking like the mana leak like almost means they pivot into this kind of. Uh, Stoneblade style deck post board where they're like really leaning on yeah you know, on Stoneforge Mystic and then a little bit of instant speed interaction. Yeah, but I'm definitely with you, Harry. I completely agree that like you know if they're trying to like interact with removal favorably, then why aren't they playing Spell Pierce? If they're trying to you know fight counter battle, then I get it. Also, Spell Pierce makes about about as much sense as the Fairy Time Raveler to me. I think Time Raveler is a bit too expensive for this deck, but at the same time they're they're leaning a bit heavier. They're 23 land. Mm-hmm. You know, they got all these blue sources. It's just a really like I can't quite figure out this deck. One thing I was thinking, like I, I, I kind of indicated that, like you know, maybe they're hedging against the burn decks. Do either of you have a feel for how the burn versus hammer matchup plays out? Because I've been sitting around thinking for the last few days, like how does this go? And I can't figure out who would be advantaged because I have not, so, I've not actually played either side of it. So I've been watching a lot of Misplaced Ginger. Um, I guess to give it a quick 30-second brief for those listening that don't know, Aspiring Spike, one of the biggest Magical Line streamers, or the, yeah, one of the biggest Magical Line streamers, is offering um, actual physical trophies for the top three trophy earners on Magic Online. I think plus other, like, punishments to himself if he doesn't come first. Correct me if I'm wrong. But um, uh, Misplaced Ginger is, like, in first place now, I believe right now with 34 trophies, maybe maybe not exactly first place, but watching him and watching him play black white uh, hammer against burn has been really interesting because his list plays ginger brute in the main as well as um, shadow spear in the main. So um, I've only seen him beat burn twice. They've always been close. The only times I see him lose is when his opponent plays an Eidolon. That's really annoying. But a lot of the time, the burn player, it's really difficult for them to 
hold up mana to burn your creature as well as burn the hammer time player's face at the same time and eventually ginger was setting up these turns where he has double equipment or he uh, sets up a um uh, pure still paladin i believe yeah pure still paladin just you basically make it really awkward for the burn player to the point where uh they t either tap out or you have a way to just equip it if they kill the creature that that uh, is on the board as well as don't forget these decks play four esper sentinel that is really annoying for burn um so i personally think you would the the hammer time player's favor but also ginger's really good at magic so i think maybe he's also um getting some extra percentage points but i think i'd rather be on the hammer time player's side definitely with Alice, i would i think the mana leaks are maybe in the sideboard just because they're versatile catch-all and they're just going to come in in matchups where the bird the forge tenders and the sanctifier and vex are just you know literal goblin mons whatever raider mons goblin and uh Owns his golden raiders and uh, whatever two two vanilla is in in white. Um, I, I forget if you already talked about it, but their entire sideboard is is kind of new cards. It has the four mana leaks. It has the the white blossoming defense blacksmith skill, which for one white gives hexproof and destructible to a creature, and if it's an artifact, it gives plus two plus two. I can see that card being good. I was playing the enchantment equivalent in historic on arena in the aura deck and that card was really really good for me they also have like cathar commando which is doesn't look like great but i guess it's it's versatile and it's proactive gives you answers in the mirror match it's a card you would expect more if they had lurus in their deck since you can sack it to destroy an artifact or an enchantment for those of you listening it's the free one for white and one that has flash and you can sack to disenchant they also have the the kind of meme equipment Manriki Gusari that destroys other equipment, and they have a really cool card that's actually in the vintage cube, the Thieving Skydiver. So they came, they, they, it's, it seemed like they knew what they wanted to be. They wanted to beat these these artifact decks, the mirror match. They wanted to beat Grixis and Blue Red Murktide, and it worked out. It sure did work out for this this tournament. I don't know how much longevity something with kind of that spread this thin, I, I, I guess, has going forward. And I, I really do think that losing Loris is a big cost. But maybe it ties together your plan post-board where you're just, like, really relying on Stoneforge Mystic to have access to these mana leaks and then, like, better equipment package. It's funny they have, like, Kandara, Kaldara Complete, but no Batiskull. I think that's really interesting. There's no Batiskull even in the 75, so that's kind of a... Yeah, I'm guessing not they just use the Saga, right, to get Shadow Sphere. Well, they can get they get Saga, they get Shadow Spear or Colossus Hammer, but then they have um, uh, Mystic thing go get Caldera Complete, Nettle Cyst, or Sword of Fire and Ice, but no no Batiskull. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they just decided that they're almost always going to go for Complete when they're in the spot where that's the kind of card they want, and they don't yeah, need it, they don't need both. Where they're not hammering, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I'm thinking with this list, wouldn't can, can't you just play Lurus in the main if you're taking it out of the companion zone? Lurus Lurus main has never looked good to me in any format so far. It's it's the sort of thing where like you can't really it's it's not good enough to justify playing enough copies to make it worth kind of leaning in on. I guess like this this is competing for serious space mm -hmm. in, yeah. in your sixty, whereas in your in your in your fifteen card sideboard, it's like not actually fighting for anything. It's kind of cool that you don't have to play bubble because we're so used to seeing bubble now. 
we forget that it's just not that good of a card to put in your deck, you know, the uncertain uncertainty of what you're going to draw, the delayed draw, etc. when you have it in your opening hand. Okay, it's cool with your fetch lands, but... You know, I mean, this, deck, this deck can probably take better advantage of bubble than any other uh, Hamilus I've seen because it actually has access to some number of fetch lands. But yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like, kind of divorcing yourself from the need, need to play Mishra's Bobble is uh, not, it's, it's not, it's, it's got something going for it, I suppose. I guess I'm a little surprised not to see maybe one because they do have fours or Saga and there might be some spots in which. Yeah, I mean, drawing a card is pretty good sometimes, eh? Hey? Yeah, you might want to draw a card because in their list, it's basically getting either one of the creatures and they actually don't even have Memnite because they're playing Sforchander, so it's just Ornithopter, Shadow Spear, or Springleaf Spring Drum. So the list is interesting. I feel like it probably can be tuned a little bit, but. Uh... Yeah, it's definitely an interesting direction considering like the, the bulk standard has been either like straight mono white, like this kind of really uniform Lurus package that we've we've seen for ages. Or splashing a little bit of black mana to have access to like Dark Confident or Thoughtseize. But this is kind of a completely new direction for that. And yeah, you know, it's definitely nice to see some innovation coming up. You want to talk about uh, what they beat in the finals, though? Yeah. Yeah. So the finals, uh, yeah, Frakem in second place with Boros Prowess, essentially. So it's Dragon Race Channelers, Monastery Swift Spears, Ragavan, Soulscar Mage. But then rather than being kind of like a burn deck proper, they have. Uh, Lava Dart, Lightning Bolt, and then five white removal spells, so three Prismatic Ending, two Path to Exiles, and then eight card drawing spells, four Light at the Stage, and then four Reckless Impulse, which is the card from the latest uh, standard set, which is the one red, one color, sorcery, exile top two cards of your library, and until the end of your next turn, you can play those cards. So it's like a kind of like poor person's expressive in, expressive in, expressive iteration. But this is a kind of pretty interesting deck, and I... On the surface, I kind of like it, but at the same time, I've never really enjoyed playing aggressive decks that have these kind of non-burn uh, removal spells in them. I always feel like you kind of draw the wrong half at the wrong wrong time, but this is definitely definitely an interesting take. They, they've been much less soft to a card like Murktide Regent or Death Shadow, I think, than it's a conventional burn deck, and I think that's got a lot of a lot of value at the moment. Yeah, definitely the two things these, these lists have in common is that they came ready for the blue-red X decks, and it it paid off. Most most decks in uh, in the format are creature based. I know that when I was playing blue white control, I was loving verdict in almost every matchup because besides actual blue white control, every other deck just relies super heavily on creature, and it makes sense to see path to exile in in that deck. In the typical burn deck, path to exile is usually a sideboard card, and even then, you really only want to bring it in and in desperate kind of desperate causes matchup but it if you're sense. playing it makes sense to me in this spot though because like i think the big the big creatures in the format at the moment like death shadow murktide regents and then omnath which is obviously a nightmare if you're just trying to cast burn spells to the face yeah yeah also against against hammer time too having the path at the ready when uh when they put equipment you, you catch people by, by surprise you're talking about it they might not work forever but for this you know specific tournament I'm sure people didn't expect uh, to get their creatures removed in that manner. And you also have the extra card advantage. So you're you're a bit better at grinding, typically. You don't want to path an early early creature because you're giving them the extra land and you're speeding them up. But from the other hand, you're, you have your Chandlers and your Ragavans and a bunch of 
divinations, then maybe you don't, you don't really pay the price and you keep up. This is definitely a good deck of grinding. I mean, not, not only does it have the eight divinations, but it also has the Lurus package and the baubles in the sideboard. So baubles yeah. in the main, sorry, Lurus package in the sideboard. Uh, another card in the sideboard that I think is a, maybe it's kind of just contextually relevant given that we were talking about the burn versus hammer time matchup just before a little bit, but uh, deflecting palm. Uh, it's got to be a, a a bit of a kind of pain in the ass to beat for for the hammer player. It's not like they have a huge amount of kind of ability to kind of interact with it or see it coming. In, in they can't thought seize it necessarily, or uh, why would they bring thought seize in its burn? And they can't can't counter it necessarily. So like deflecting palm is definitely a card that you can be like, yeah, just take take eleven or whatever in the burn matchup. Maybe that's a testament to like how difficult the burn matchup is, the, the hammer matchup is for the burn deck. Is that they need to go to a card like Deflecting Palm? Mm. How does Deflecting Palm work with uh, Ink Moth Nexus, like Infect? Does it uh, does, does it give does Infect damage? damage? It just uh, deals damage it, back damage. because the Deflecting Palm itself deals the damage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Isn't yeah. that card just a staple? I remember playing that card against that card already, like eight, seven or eight years ago, when I was playing Affinity, and it, it got tricky in some spot post board or. Had to be careful, maybe have a Ravager out or kind of go for it in some spots or, you know, kind of manage my my creatures ac accordingly and not have just one huge hit. My feeling has always been that it's this card that, like, looks good on the surface but has never actually been good enough to see mainstream play, but maybe I'm biased. A lot of the time when I, you know, this is, so I'm thinking back to times playing kind of like old Greeks' Death Shadow against Burn and they would have Deflecting Palm against me, but it's the sort of matchup where you are so entrenched on having cards like Stubborn Denial in your deck that like when you got the big shadow going and they wanted to deflect palm it, you would just have Stubborn Denial ready anyway because that's just how the, how the matchup played out. So I always felt like it was a little bit overrated in that spot. It was just a two-mana spell that didn't do anything until they, you know, until you were already in a favorable... You're, you know, the opponent was obviously in an advantageous position. So it's yeah. definitely possible that it's much better now when the counters are a little bit less manner efficient for um you know for the death shadow decks or you know there's multiple different uh decks that it's actually good against in the format now like it's obviously pretty good against the merc tide regent it's pretty good against death shadow still and it's like great against hammer time so maybe it's got enough legs now but i felt like before when i was playing shadow and I was playing against burn they would bring it in it wasn't a card that i was particularly particularly afraid of mm -hmm. yeah so I, I was looking and i actually saw on my t twitter feed pop up the the Fracom, that the player is uh, somewhat of a burn expert, apparently. He has a, a guide from a month and a half ago about burn, and he just tweeted, like, asking if people would be interested in him breaking down his games from the, the challenge. So at Fracom94, if anyone's interested, maybe go check out his account and give him a follow. Um, figured I'd mention it since I was, I was crawling earlier and saw that. Yeah, I mean, I think... Honestly, mono red, like these fast burn strategies just seem to go under a lot of the decks in the format now. Like, I feel like I would be scared to play against this as um, uh, any Omnath deck because the Omnath decks will struggle to interact with this deck because you only really have like one prismatic ending, one solitude in the early game. If you're flooding the board and using reckless impulse and stuff, I feel like you're just going to go under fast enough against an Omnath. I kind of disagree. Playing the, I actually think it's it's good against Grixis Shadow. Uh, ever since they printed Solitude, I felt of 
Like I was a favorite against Burndex anytime I had Teferi Time Raveler and, you know, four Teferi Time Raveler, four Solitude in Medic, whether it was Blue White Control, which used to be not that great against Burn, or the Omnaf deck. Maybe Path to Exile uh, helps you a bit there because it definitely feels when you're playing the Omnaf deck, you're playing a mini sub game of can I get to cast, do I live until mm -hmm. I cast Omnaf? And then mm -hmm. if so, I win the game. If not, uh, you actually still have the games where you just go remove all Teferi, Solitude, and uh, win that way. So uh, I'm guessing he was hoping not to play against these kind of decks and really really gunning for, for Grixis, uh, Grixis Shadow. I feel like it's definitely geared towards playing as Grixis Shadow as well. Just look at the way the, the, the spell mana costs line up as well. It's all one drops. It's like scarce number two drops, and the only two drops that are really there I just straight up divinations, which are great against obviously like all the discard spells from the Grixis deck. So I feel like it's it's set up there to kind of grind, but also be as equally mana efficient as the as the Grixis deck, which is, and also in in a lot of respects because it's not so like one dimensional as like a conventional burn list where it's just kind of trying to assemble seven lightning bolts and kill your opponent. Yeah, this one can play a bit more of a patient game where it like kind of builds a board up, doesn't let them activate it, doesn't let them turn on the death shadow. Like they have to go out of their way to turn on their own death shadow, and once they do, then you can kind of turn the corner and. and or just essentially just you know unload your spells on them and they will just die. Yeah. You know, access to like you know they just cast a shadow or something and you just like prismatic end up path that one. You know, set, send in my team of prowess creatures. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to play against on that particularly much with this deck. And like just to that point of like solitude changing the burn matchups dynamic significantly. I always felt like you could. It's really hard when you're playing the control decks. It was really hard to lose the burn if you never let that creature hit you. And so yeah. it doesn't really matter how many cards you were down at any point in time, as long as you just didn't take damage from that first Goblin Guide or like the Swift Spear or or whatnot, you were in such great shape. Yeah, I, I guess I, I zoned out for a second, and I think I might be wrong that this deck is not great against Omnath. I'm not sure you'd be a favorite, but compared to traditional burn, you're, you have way more sustain. And I was talking about how, against typical burn was Omnath, you're really just trying to land an Omnath, if you get like one trigger off it, it's usually unsurmountable. But this deck not only has a path and it has the seven divinations, it has the Lurus, so... It's actually got eight divinations, Gab. Yeah. yeah. So it might just be really, really smart, well-rounded build of the deck. Oh yeah, it's it. I keep seeing the free prismatic ending and... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's straight up eight, yeah. Reckless yeah. Impulse, I've not played against in Modern, I don't think so. I have played against it in... Thing in standard or alchemy Maybe. and it's been it's well. been yeah. yeah it's been impressive i've had games where i felt like i was in a great spot against a mono red deck in in alchemy and on arena it's based a lot around thermo alchemist and uh, there's another like kind of poor man's alchemist and i thought i was doing good and all of a sudden they're just chaining these these impulses and getting all these triggers and this like sustained damage and I just get burned out. So is this is it a card that you think is like not seeing enough play? I mean, I think we've seen recently with expressive iteration just how powerful that sort of effect is. Yeah, it's obviously uh, you know, less less explicitly good, but at the same time, like uh, this this is two mana divination is no joke. Is Especially it ugly? Yeah, is it ugly better in in a in a deck like that where all your spells are so cheap? Well, I mean, it doesn't obligate you to be able to cast a spell on turn. You, you don't have to wait till turn three to play this card, which exactly. I think is quite powerful. Yeah, you can go one drop, reckless impulse, 
Yeah, and then make your land drop and have a spell for next turn as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really powerful card and probably one that's good. It's going to see more and more play as we go on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Divination used to cost three mana, right? Yeah, no. Um, maybe maybe people are, are sleeping on that card and then, like, a few weeks' time, it's going to be a bunch of reckless impulse all over the place. And even yeah. maybe they like... I guess iteration has been pretty good in Grisha Shadow, so maybe you just you double up, you play more. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing where, like, if I was had access to expressive iteration, I would presumably just augment it, like, just play, like, copies five plus as reckless impulses. And it doesn't synergize very well with a card, like, you know, any any counter magic at all. So I wouldn't put it in Merktide or anything like that. But maybe maybe it's the sort of card you can have a couple of copies of in your sideboard or something, even of, of Grisha Shadow. Yeah. Any any other deck that stood out from I mean, that challenge or I mean the third challenge? the third place the third place deck is just feels like a bit of a blast from the past, but at the same time is like just stock full of new cards. So third place is Garrick nine one one, and he's playing or they're they're playing Ponza essentially. They're playing you know, Utopia Sprawl, Arbor Elf, Blood Moon, Renin Six. Bone Crusher Giant, and then just like a whole bunch of new cards. So like the four season Pyromancer, which is pretty stock, I guess. Four Fury, three Endurance, and then two Moonvale Regent and two Thrun the Last Troll. Uh, that's kind of like ten years apart. Four drops, right there. Like uh, I don't know. I don't know. Was have you ever played Thrun the Last Troll? Either of you? I've played yeah. against it. I think I've cast it against Gav actually in the Sultai <laughs> Mirror. You know, when Sultai Uro, I think we oh, played yeah. a mirror, I cast it, something like this. Yeah, that card's not very good. It was always pretty tilting to lose it because it was such, <laughs> yeah. such, felt like such a narrow sideboard card and not even always that effective. But when it got you, it felt bad. Yeah, they're like kind of pick your flavor of four drops. All these four drops probably feel the same. So they're like, why not? Two Moon Villa Regents, reload on cards. And from. Does that card really make a ton of sense? You get to block a Death Shadow, I guess. It's, if it blocks Death Shadow, it's kind of good against Solitude. Like if your opponent's plan is to like Solitude or to Fairy Time Ravel or your thing, at least it doesn't <laughs> die to that. Yeah, I guess in grindy games, it it deals with Omnaf kind of, or well, just fights, fights off Omnaf, fights off to Fairy, fights off Solitude. How, yeah. How is Moonvale Regent playable? Just grindy cards. Whenever you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw a card for each of that spell's color. So it's like it's like a more long-term season pyro. Maybe yeah, it is pretty good. Some kind of like dark confident effect. Just hauling mine, you know. Yeah, hauling I mean, mine you on have, a dragon. I mean, you have like you you have a lot of like situational cards, right? Like you have blood moons that lose value in the long game. Utopia sprawls, arbor elves that don't do much. I can imagine wanting to have access you to a card like Moonbell Regent or some, you know some access to card drawing. Yeah. You know what it's cool with? With Fury, you can just go turn four oh. Regent, and if your last two cards are like a Fury and a red card, you cast Fury for free, you start refilling already and just get a little okay. extra value there. So it's good with Fury. Okay, that's sick. Yeah, it's okay. kind of good with the pitch yeah. stuff, I guess, in some ways. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I can get behind this. I, I don't think it's great, but it's playable. <laughs> it's a card that was like borderline playable in, in standard. I mean, it's the sort of thing we should probably explore whether it's good yeah. enough. I think Shai might have. Defaz had had a few in his World Championship list. He's a yeah. tiny bit of playing historic too. I think he did actually. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I played some in the blue red, um, like uh, Alchemy, uh, Alrith Epiphany Dragons deck as well yeah. for a little bit. It was it was all right there. I just people, it must feel so risks. bad. It must feel so bad to play Utopia Sprawl when like all the control decks are playing <laughs> Spreading Seas. Yeah, yes. like the amount of Utopia Sprawls I've sniped has been insane. Yeah, because you've been playing a lot of like, like Blink and stuff like that, right? You've been trying out a bunch of different things. Yeah, definitely. I've been I've been working on my YouTube grind, clickbait, everything. So every every You're crap. Officially back. Yeah, officially back on the on the uh, jank grind. But I mean, we can. There's actually a control deck in the top eight here, right? Azorius control. Yeah, there's Iron Seventeen in fifth place with just what looks like stock blue white. Yeah, I think this is actually the list that I. Uh, it's very similar to Waffo's main. I think there's some changes, but um, yeah, I've I've been I've been playing some blue white. You know, I really disliked it. I think I went two and three with Waffo's deck. I don't think I pl- I don't think I played it great, but I, I I just haven't been liking it compared to, um, compared to all the Omnath decks. I feel like it's so awkward right now playing with with uh, just Counterspell and kind of draw go with Archmage's Charm. I've just preferred slamming Planeswalkers. I felt like when Modern Horizons two came out, we were you know crying about Unholy Heat, but now I feel like Unholy Heat really isn't that like. Uh, I don't feel like it's cast against me a lot anymore. Even, you know, I feel like the copies have gone down to the format. So I've really liked just going for tap out control planeswalker style rather than blue white. But I actually, you know, what was funny is I played a clickbait league um, of just, you know, I was sitting in my bed one night. I was like, what's clickbait? Oh, pl- let's go play some blue white cards. No one's seen in like 10 billion years. So I played. An Elspeth, a Gideon, a Search for Ascanta, and a Sphinx's Revelation just in my Waffo list. I just that took out four so cards, bad. slipped them in. I four one. I I I two three with Waffo's list. I took out four random cards. I slipped in these four classics and I went four one with my only loss losing to Merktide because all three games they had double Ragavan. Like t- turn one and turn two, they had Ragavan. And I had to solitude or prismatic getting them. So one thing I realized is that it's really unexplored playing these like trashy white cards that are like really good on turn like five it five or six and you can just pitch them to solitude. Like Elspeth for me was an all-star. It won me a match on its own. And in all the other matches that it was bad, I just pitched it to solitude and I didn't care. The classic, and, the classic yeah. situational card in my deck because I can pitch it to Force of Will. But argument. I don't even think it's that bad. Elspeth, one thing I noticed is it wipes all constructs. It kills Tarmogoyf, kills Murktai Regent, kills Death Shadow. I mean, okay, yes, it's an expensive card. But I I personally, out of all these four, I, I might be slipping an Elspeth into my blue-white deck, you know what I mean, to keep Did the you, clickbait there. Were you playing when that guy was legal in standard? In standard, no. It was really, really good. But it's not really good enough for modern. It's be really powerful <laughs> when you put it into play, but uh, yeah. No, you guys, you guys. I mean, I, I, I wasn't expecting you guys to be believers, but I do like the. Uh, I remember there used to be that meme of like, just put faithless looting and shit cards in your deck and just discard them to faithless looting. I mean, yes, I might be making an argument, but I flipped a search for Ascanta and won a match with that too. So, 
Yeah, that was pretty sick. I mean, it was just kind of a trip down memory lane and Solitude bailed me out is what I'm saying. Absolutely. That definitely sounds like Solitude bailed you out. I mean, those cards are all things that like I've put in my deck before, except for Sphinx's Revelation. I never put that card in my modern deck before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, um, yeah. I saw that. I saw that thumbnail as well. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I I did a serious go at Blue Moon, to be, to be honest. I did go back to my old days. And um, there's not too much to talk about, but, you know, I realized, wait a second, you can play Expressive Iteration here and Fury in, in, a, in a control deck and not be splashing it, just it being your main colors. I thought that was pretty cool. So I, 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 um, I played this kind of like, I also played two Merktide regions, and I basically played this like um, Snapcaster Bowl slash Iterations, you, you know, deck where I had t- two kind of win cons of Blood Moon Mer- and Merktide region, and then the three Planeswalkers, two Jason Orrell. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. Like, all my games, I felt like this deck could actually be half decent. Like, like not a good deck, but a, a deck that you could probably um, five zero leagues with. And I went one and four. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Great. I am going to be working on Blooming because it, it felt good. Like everything that you play in the deck is half decent. I mean, you're playing Prismari Command. That's main deck artifact removal. You fuel up your graveyard for Merktide Regent. You got Blood Moon to steal wins. And you got expressive iteration for card draw. I mean, the only thing you need to solve is how do you deal with early game threats? Because you don't, you don't like uh, card quantity in hand matters for Blue Moon. And pitching stuff to Fury really sucks. Like, if you have to, yes. But you win more with hard casting Fury. So, like, I'm going to be messing around with this. And I think it could potentially be something because you are being able to play these powerful, uh, basically, tier one cards in, in, in a tier. 90 control decks so you know i think i think it's i think it could be okay that, that's I mean, kind of my all my testing have you looked at these uh later latest iterations of the murktide deck though where they're just you know just playing two blood moons in the main and just being saying you know screw it i think everyone knows that murktide is playing blood moon right now because that twitter thread of the guy salting but um <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I have been seeing main deck Blood Moon and Merktide is really scary because what are people utilizing? It's the three mana turn two with Ragavan. I mean, it obviously makes uh, that that Ragavan draw really good. I was just wondering, like, I, I definitely agree with re- agree with some of the things you're saying about about Blue Moon, like just having access to like Snapcasters and a bunch of card draw mm-hmm. is almost feels like a more robust way to build a blue red deck at the moment when your opponents are playing like. Grixis Shadow or whatever, because you know, if you just think about a conventional Merktide deck, it's it's a little bit fragile to hand, hand hand disruption because you've got like just enough of each kind of thing. Like you know, you've got you know just enough threats, just enough counter spells, just enough removal, all kind of like tied in together. And that make that that generally as a, as a general rule makes you disrupt uh, susceptible to thought season and stuff like that. Whereas if you just kind of like I have like Archmage's Charms and Snapcaster Mages and removal spells. There's less that the less that can really go wrong in a lot of respects, but at the same time, you know, threats like Ragavan and stuff I mean it's hard to load up on, on on soft interaction like counter spells. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I forgot to mention, but I actually did try in my blue white sideboard a copy of Isolate. It's the one white in. I think it's an instant. Oh, I saw that card as well. That's a card that Gab really likes and has historically liked, and yeah, it made a lot of sense to me that you're playing it now. I just 
Yeah. When Gab used to play, it made no sense to me. But I, it, um, there's a lot of targets in the format for that right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the most common uh, casting of prismatic ending is one white. You know, you got vile hammer. You got the enchantment for hammer time. You got all these ragavans, channelers, guides, and, and and crap. So much running around the format. I thought, okay, let let's try isolating the sideboard. And then I was gonna play three copies, but then my chat came in and convinced me to play a brimaz, a brimaz, and a timely reinforcements for the clickbait. Yeah, one of the worst. Chat, so, one of the worst. Chat the worst I still four one, so I'll take it. Attacks. But you know, the isolate actually won me a, a game and a match in game three against Murktide. They kept um, one land, four Ragavans, and I went prismatic ending, prismatic ending, solitude, Archmage's charm, steal one, and then I top decked isolate to to exile the fourth. So that was pretty <laughs> sick. Uh, I I did really like it. And I think isolate's pretty good in the cyber, like as an extra. Um, you know, one 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 mana prismatic ending. So I, I really liked it. Yeah, that's making me want to play modern. Just play a bunch of isolates. Was did you have Snapcaster Mage in your deck? Uh no, because no. I was saying you you can't play anything that stops Kahira, and Brimaz doesn't stop Kahira. That's where chat convinced me. Wow. Like, oh, Brim Brimaz is a is a beast or whatever, or and it, or a cat, and it makes cats. And I got Kahira on the table and attacked with Brimaz, and I made I think I attacked twice, so I two two two. But you know what I also realized is that Colonnade's an elemental, and uh. uh it gets pumped by Kahira. Six months later. Yeah, I only just found that out. Or maybe I knew and I forgot, but I just found out about that. So I thought that was pretty cool as well. Thanks, Harry. Did you guys know that? Or am I yeah, living under a rock? Yeah. Oh, yeah, crap. I also just don't think that the extra power on Colonnade is particularly noteworthy. Also, it already has Vigilance. Okay, okay. It's all right. I'm glad you discovered this, though. It's fine. But yeah. I, I like Isolate. Try it out. Put a couple in your sideboard. You won't regret it. I really do. I really do think Isolate's sick. And Gab's right. I think that Snapcast is the way to go. But yeah, go on, Gab. No, I didn't have anything to say. Go ahead. No, no. I, I think that's. Uh, I, oh. I think that's all I have to say about Isolate. Yeah. I, I am. I am a big fan of Isolate. I used to play it in Pioneer bit. I've even played it in Historic recently. Just cheap instant speed utility. I was playing a deck with the, the four mana weakness that you can play on Arena, but isolate, yeah. I mean, it's it's so much right now. Every every deck's just what what is it bad against? Just literally blue white control. Yeah, I guess like blue white is the answer. The the, the only thing it's bad against. It's medium maybe against elementals. You have sprawl. Belcher. Yeah, dead against Belcher. But yeah. No. Dead? I mean, you can exile the treasure token. <laughs> no, I think it's exactly one, right? Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it would be it cards. would be too bust. It would be too busted. Imagine you could kill a mox. <laughs> Fuck. It'd be it'd be way too good if you. Could, I could probably make mox opal. I could probably make mox opal legal again. Just isolate that to keep it in check. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What You're else? Talking about Waffle yep. earlier, he decided to play Esper on Saturday. Mix oh, it up a bit. Maybe maybe he felt the same way you did about Blue White and had Esper Charm, Fiddle Push, Kai's Guile, kind of the usual usual suspects. It's so, nice to see Kai's Guile again. How did he do? What did he, where did he place? 
Found my clickbait content for tonight. <laughs> it, it, it makes sense to me. I played Grixis against a Mardu deck recently. I won, but I felt like my opponent didn't draw very well. And these cards got they add up, you know. That was that was I was a little scary. So I could see I could see Kaya's Gal, you know, you get Gal for the Grixis matchup, get just pretty pretty sweet card, you get Fatal Push, why not? Yeah, Fatal Push is a pretty powerful magic card, and I think, yeah, just having access to red removal spells isn't really cutting it at the moment. I think you need access to something that kills things that are bigger than well, six or more than more than four answers of things that have more than six six or more toughness. Yeah. Fatal push good place to go. Especially if you're not wanting to cast cards like a uh, Path to Exile, which you know people have been pretty hesitant to since they printed Prismari uh, or Prismatic Ending. One thing I want to say about the Waffo list is I, you know, I do copy his card for card. In all his sideboards, he has the stupid Emrakul Promise and Emrakul Aeon's Torn. I've, I think I've played like five leagues with these cyborg configurations. I'm yet to do anything with them. I'm playing with 13 card cyborgs. And sometimes I have Kahira, so I'm basically playing 12 card cyborgs. What, like, have any of you guys actually seen these being used? I've seen the Emrakul the problem. I mean, Emrakul the Amazon has an obvious application. And it's just never yeah, cast. You just put in your deck and get a huge value out of it. But yeah. the Emrakul the Promise and I've seen is a kind of trump in these kind of long grindy mirrors i've seen it versus um some of the other combo decks as well as just like a card that you can bring in it that actually ends the game because i think the the matchup for these blue white control decks against decks like belcher and stuff is pretty rough i don't know if it's the sort of place to cut i would bring in there explicitly but you know maybe you want access to bink in those matchups and i've also seen it against titan as well if you brought in yeah, I've never been a huge fan of that card. I've never really played with it, mostly against it. And I felt like for an expensive sideboard, somewhat narrow card, it didn't even really win you the game every time you cast it because it's weak to Planeswalkers in some ways. And I don't know. I'm, 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 I don't really, don't really see it, but maybe just, maybe just for the control mirror matches. And as far as, as the anti-mail technology, it's, I don't know, you need to be some kind of math wizards to figure out if it's worth it, just because it's how good it is against mail. I mean, we've talked about it a million times, but it's basically the best sideboard card you can ever have because you don't need to draw it. You just yeah. have to put it in your deck and it, it does its work. Just hope you never so, draw it, really. It, it's not like a traditional card where you need to be playing against a deck X percent of the time because... It takes a slot in your sideboard, and you're not always going to draw it. Whereas against mail, even if you don't play against mail as much as other decks, it's it's going to be huge for you almost every time. Even though now they do have the hideous laughter to exile it, but even against that, you know it's a really high casting cost card, so it's going to yeah. eat up most of the spell. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it stops the it stops the hideous laughter and its tracks really, and every other mill card it just kind of embarrasses. Yeah. So it's, it's just nice it's, to see four. It's, honestly, it's just nice to see four snapcaster mages in a deck again. Oh wow, yeah. Four snapcaster, four spreading seas, a couple prismatic. Maybe, maybe he's missing isolate. He's missing the isolate tech. That's <laughs> yeah, right. he maybe he didn't realize. He, does, he, does, video, he, Harry. he does have fatal push. What does isolate hit that fatal push? Not that great against. Like anything uh, that's not a creature. 
Thank like you. hammer. Yeah. Yeah, and equipment, aid. Is aid yeah. But he doesn't even Strong. play four prismatic ending. Why would you need isolate, right? Instant speed. Especially with Snapcaster. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I got you. But yeah, okay. no, I agree that it's probably pretty sketch fishy when you have to fairy time rail or to start playing any copies I've isolated before maxing out on the ending. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'll definitely try out this S for a list. I can see the uh, dollar bills raining from the sky for YouTube. So <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm aiming to try out this list. But, I, you know, I'm also going to try out the mono red. I think longtime listeners of the podcast know I love red decks. So yeah. I think these two instantly, I'm, nah, I'm yeah. loving the looks of them. No, nah, that red list looks really cool. And the Reckless Impulse, nah, I, that deck looks sweet. I agree. Yeah, I think there is. There's definitely, there's definitely more investigation about Reckless Impulse that needs to be made. It, it's too it's too too powerful for too little mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. to not to not be accessible in modern like it's it's right in that spot of uh, right 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 power level for modern. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about what went on the Sunday challenge or the the challenge on the twenty seventh? I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is a little bit less kind of. I mean, the winner I guess is a little bit less interesting. It's just straight up stock Greeks of shadow as we've seen kind of rampaging through modern over the last month or so. Yeah, absolutely no surprises. In fact, I couldn't tell you a single card in here that jumps out at me as interesting. Everything is just stock numbers and yep. great deck. Well done for MTG. You did it. Mosasabi um, in second place with essentially stock Titan with just four card of great creative build. Um, these lists are, I can't quite uh, look at these lists and say that there's absolutely nothing exciting to say here. But um, yeah. yeah, no, no seven drop. No new yeah. uh, Colossus. That's a card that seems like it kind of got a lot of hype to begin with, and then it uh, faded away. I can't remember the exact text on it. I'm going to look it up, actually. 7-7, seven, seven, when it comes into play, you could put a land into play from your hand. If you do, you draw a card, and you can repeat the process. And it's XX. I believe it does not have trample. Oh, so it has power enough to take a number of lands you control? Yeah. Ah, very cool. All right, so you could just, like, keep chaining. If you, if you have, like, that and a... Um... Dry out of the other sea and grove in a valakut, you can just keep looping your bounce land, I guess. No, yeah. you can't. Because it, it's like you keep Wait. resolving in the in the single trigger, so you can't like pick up the bounce land over and over and over again and replay it. I don't think it's infinite with a bounce land, right? Maybe I guess you need two bounce lands. No, I don't think it's uh I think I think that the you could the continuation of the process is still in the resolution oh, of the initial yeah, yeah. trigger, so you don't really get any of the bounce land triggers in to pick up the thing over and over again. It's just basically you can spew out a whole bunch of lands. All right. Which, which card is this? I'm glad because I never even thought about that scenario of you potentially going infinite. So I was like, oh, that card doesn't look that good for me. So I'm glad I didn't just totally uh, overlook the fact that it just goes infinite if you have two bounce lands. Which card? It's Colossus it's something. Col cultivated Colossus. So I'll read the it. one that makes you put a land into your hand uh, from it's hand into play draw card? It's four, yeah. three, four green, green, green. Star yeah, I played against this. Parent up is equal number of lands you control. When it enters the battlefield, you may put a land card from your hand on the battlefield tapped. Oh, if you do draw a card and repeat the process, yeah. So yeah, you just yeah. dump a bunch of lands and redraw. Yeah. So what the what uh, my opponent did was like all the triggers f go on the stack after you put them into play. So um, the problem, the thing is, you can draw a land and put a land that you draw into play. So it's like you play it, and if you have like two lands yeah, in your so, hand, yeah, yeah. they'll put in like six. And it, and because they, what I didn't realize is they put them into play tapped. So like they trigger amulet. So um, what is it like? 
they play a Teleria West, untap it, and because it untaps alongside the bounce land, you flow and then transmute, and then you hope that you have six extra or a castle um, from putting it in that you can tighten as well. So th this yeah. card is it's okay, but I don't think people like it, right? Because well, people don't like it in the end. Musasabi Mus came second in the challenge. He plays zero copies. Just plays kind of great creator package instead. So I think it probably had a bit of hype and then fell out, fell out of favor. Yeah, but I, sorry, yeah, go, go on, Harry. No, I was gonna say I prefer the. I think I prefer the Karn package because it it always felt like um, when you when a when a when, a, when you play this card, it would be as good as a Titan, and Karn gives you better answers to things in the format. I think. Yeah, the, I think we've we've spoken about this a few, a few times previously, but the kind gives you that extra dimension against the control decks, where like you know if they just sit, sit back in a whole bunch of kind of counter spells and or like land disruption or whatnot, then uh, Khan really kind of like can catch them unawares and gives them an extra dimension, so it makes it hard to kind of just play against them. Like you can't just be like, okay, resolve your tide, and I'll just path it and then counter the next one, counter the next one. Yeah, sorry, my microphone glitch. But I see in fifth place in the challenge, we have Four Color Blink. That's a deck that I did play myself. Um, I really don't like this deck. I, I can't lie. I've <laughs> yeah. it, hated it. Um, my, my one of my close friends, um, Vichezzo, he I watch him play this deck all the time on Discord. I play um, video games with like him, Cherry X-Men and that lot. And they're always playing Magical Line between, between lobbies on Escape from Tarkov because that game is 15 minutes in between, between games. And he somehow went on a 17-0 streak with four-color blink in front of me. And I, I hated the deck, but I think I think this deck has legs. Like if you know how to play it, because I was talking with him through lines and he would make super different plays to me and and just crush opponents. I think this deck has legs from what what I can see, but I I don't know how to play this deck. I I hate it. It's too complicated for me. I, I know we didn't do a cast last week, but this deck has been kind of it's been tearing it up for the last you know month or so. But I had a really big weekend in the week that we skipped last mm -hmm. week, where I think that um. It won both challenges or at least had kind of like someone a, a lot of people did well with this deck in both challenges and maybe even the pdq as well so it definitely has legs yeah. gab this is kind of more in your in, in your wheelhouse and i know we talked about it at length with canister a few weeks ago yeah so if you want to go back and listen to that episode you can but this deck's kind of got a few differences kind of some it's it's the um it's the ephemerate deck but it has access to some counter spells but also some eladam calls as well which uh, i don't know if you have any thoughts on those sort of cards Call was impressive to me when I played it back in Soul Herder. I remember seeing this list and I was not loving the look of the call. And people were like, oh, you should try call. I was like, no, that card's too slow. It's modern. You can't afford to just take a turn off. But it was really sick was uh, Ether Vial. It really, it really shined there. This deck does not have Ether Vial, but you do play at instant speed. You have Ice Fang. You make up for it. Was um cards was like Omnath and Solitude helps you make you up uh, make up the tempo. Uh, good good in the late game was Witness. You can pitch it to Solitude and Endurance. So I, I could see I could see it. I, I yeah, have a canister. Sorry, yeah, sorry. No, I was just gonna say that's the that's the, the kind of canister deck that I don't know if that's still what he plays, but that's the deck he was playing for many months and 
doing well weekend after weekend, him and other people. Yeah, I know that Candice actually streamed with a league where he had four copies of Eldamari's call in his uh, in, in his deck, and he wasn't particularly impressed. I think was uh, the final verdict, but uh, someone made a good point in his in that in that thread on on Twitter, which was he built the deck in a way that was kind of doing the the antithesis of what an Eldamari's call deck should be doing. So it was kind of four call, but then he had all the witnesses. And all the kind of situational guys he had lots of copies of still as well. He wasn't trying to, trying to lean into that tutoring package. Mm-hmm. Maybe Witness is like too powerful of a card in this deck overall, but you know, may, maybe you're supposed to kind of you know do like this deck's doing, like play like a limited number of Ice Fang Codals, maybe like one Fury or two Furies, and you know, save basically play less of the kind of situationally good cards and lean lean more heavily on on a card like Call. Yeah. I guess you just want a card that does something in the mid game and that combos nicely with witness, gets you going, and it's a little slow. But as I said, I think you you make up for the lost time was Omnath in the pitch cards and whatnot. So yeah, that's kind definitely kind of makes sense. It's definitely definitely reasonable. I just yeah. Did you have a feel for how good this deck is against a deck like Death Shadow? Presumably, presumably it crushes Death Shadow because it's just all really good cards. I was getting crushed was the sixty card version against Grixis Shadow because they had the the cheesy early draws that you had to beat and sometimes lost to, and then in the mid game they just had as much card advantage as you. Iteration, Loras, Dev. The, the drown in the locks were a huge pain because you can't just like drop these these hammers, these great cards, and and expect them to always resolve. So I found that matchup to be horrendous. It's kind of why I stopped playing the that six the sixty card version of that oh, deck. The, yeah, you're playing the heavy version. Yeah, I'm assuming this version might be a bit better because at, at least this version is not gonna lose the the late game. But yeah, that was a big weakness. I mean, we talked about it a lot, but yeah, that was a big weakness of the 60-card deck, and I was I was losing to all these red-black Loris decks, whether it was red-black Loris, which was not the worst, but still tough. John, jump Loris, I was losing it all. Grixis Loris, I was losing it all. Felt really, really bad. But this deck might have a uh, better chance against it. You have Ice Fang, you have better late game. You actually have a late game that probably trumps their late game, because... What I find out was I was I was not even like really trumping something like John Sagavan in the late game, despite having Omnath, Teferi, Solitude. It it wasn't even enough. This deck definitely won't have the problem once you get Ephemerate Witness going, obviously. Yeah, I've I've found Death Shadow from what I've spectated to be like. Well, obviously my my opinion is biased because I've only basically seen this deck win over the past week. But I've I found to be that this deck offers a huge range of threats. You know, you got the instants and sources they got to worry about, the planeswalkers they got to worry about, and the creatures they got to worry about. You have a removal spell for the Omnath, you have a counter spell for the Solitude, whatever. The counter spells in Death Shadow is, um, what is it? It's Drown in the Lock, and Drown in the Lock can't counter Fury or Solitude. You haven't got five cards in your graveyard, which you can be aware of. And Solitude comes down really fast. So, um, you know, I've I've seen it to be really awkward for the Death Shadow player, but obviously I've, I've only been seeing winning games, so I can't really say hand on heart if it's favored or not. This is certainly some deck that, the sort of deck where you had that, the Drown and the Lock decks have a hard time filling up your graveyard for you. Like, it doesn't fill up its graveyard passively for the, for the Drown and the Lock deck. So it can, it's pretty... 
it's pretty reasonable to suggest that you could kind of keep three cards in your graveyard or whatever so you can resolve your solitude through drown and just being focused on that sort of stuff is pretty important when you're playing as drown decks in general i find cool add if you guys are ready to move on add two decks that stood out to me out yep. of this sunday challenge yep. first was it was actually 16 17 17 was just mario gomez who won the challenge on saturday and ran it back to a solid 5-2 results, was, as far as I could tell, the exact same 75. So the Burt on Forged main deck, uh, Sanctifier in deck, main deck. Yeah. Shove Hammer was at Lurus. And then 16, yeah, 16 place, it's Gaivi, Gaivai, I'm not sure you said, but pretty cool take on Popter Foundry was 4 Esper Sentinel, 4 Ingenious Smith, 4 Stone Forge Mystic, and 3 Urza, and... They have four portable hole for control, as well as Nettlesis, Caldera Complete, Shadow Sphere. They're playing for Urza Saga. And I always felt like that deck in the past was, you had multiple ways to build it, but it felt like you kind of needed everything to really come together to do well. And as soon as you started playing against someone who interacted with you, they could just pick you apart. And when you were left with these, you know, a thought for Foundry there, sort of, you know, these kind of like mediocre cards and not so great. So I like the the take was Ingenious Smith, I guess, gives you that extra grindiness and lets you apply pressure and maybe force them to to do stuff they don't want to do. And then you, you get to punish them. I don't know. I thought it looked pretty cool. And I, 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 like, I like it too. I actually played a little bit with um something similar to this when Modern Horizons 2 had just come out. I played a little bit with a kind of uh, Esper version of this deck, which didn't have as a saga in it, which is probably a huge red flag. But um, yeah, it was Esper Sentinels and uh, Urza and kind of Stoneforge Mystic package. I really like the kind of Esper Sentinel Metallic Rebuke as well set up, where you kind of you know lead on Sentinel and then you know attack them for one, and they they cast a spell and pay them out, and then you just counter it or whatever. <laughs> well, you don't attack yeah. them for one, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, I I do I do love Rebuke. I've actually played a lot of Rebuke in Historic. I know I keep talking about that, but it's I think it's it's relevant and just so good with cards like portable holes, so good with the equipments, it's artifacts that you know they're just sitting there, they're cheap, and you get to tab them for free. There's that cool blue white artifact deck with the um, the Thoughtcast seven mana flying creature. Yeah, thought monitor. And as for Sentinel, you also got Ingenious Miss. You got you, you played four Nels for analysis in that in that deck. Um obviously you don't have Urza, you don't have Stone Forge, you don't have Teferi, but you have you have some other cards in that deck's really cool. And no, no list list kind of makes sense. Portable yeah. holds a card that hasn't really seen as much play as I would expect it to, because it's a really powerful card on its face. Yeah, I mean I guess it's uh, overshadowed by prismatic ending in in almost every deck. Yeah, and the fact that and, and soon to be of, overshadowed by isolate in uh, almost every time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, fighting no, displaced uh, with isolate. It's cool because you you lower your curve, but you get value out of the the cheap artifacts. Was was Smith? Was Rebuke? Was Urza Saga? So it has a, it has a, a good look to it. I'm assuming you still get some really awkward hands, but maybe this maybe this takes like a little more consistent and. Look cool. So I figured I'd bring it up. 
I definitely love Dr. Jadri. Sort of and it has it. Harry's favorite card in the sideboard, Emrakul the Ian Thorns. Ian Thorns. Uh, <laughs> dude, I, I, if I see another Emrakul, I'm just I'm uninstalling Magical Line. If I have to play that in my deck again. I've ne- Wait, I haven't even played against Mill. It's You know, as soon as I don't put it in my sideboard, that's when I'm going to queue five times into Mill. I, now I've had this like fear of missing out almost. At least at least you get extra value in this deck. You can just get lucky and flip it of, of Urza. Okay, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, you get that little, little percentage, fine. So what, I'm siding it into my deck so that I just pray that when I have Urza on the table and, and activate it, I, I win. Okay. Sold. Got it. Sometimes if your matchup is that bad, you got to go for it. <laughs> it does give you the inevitability on the turn that you're like, Go off with Urza and thought the Foundry as well. Like I, I know that when I was playing this version, well, I played thought the Foundry Urza decks before Modern Horizons Two came out. So when I was kind of Oko era, you'd have this kind of turns where you would just go off and yeah. make infinite mana or whatever. But like you didn't have a win condition, you didn't, you had to decide to pass a turn, come back and untap and attack them. So you were susceptible to cards like you know Supreme Verdict or whatever clearing out your Urza. But at least if you, know, if you put Emrakul in your deck, at least you can just kill him on the spot. It just, you know, these Urza decks really confused me because I feel like the thing they had going for them was the Asmoreno Condicular, or however you pronounce it. But oh, then, yeah, the, um, how, Asmo, how do you actually try to pronounce the card? That like, how do you? How you, do you? Pro- you remember when I can't? I have no idea. Asmoreno Condicular knows how to say it, or he he pretends he knows. He says something really fast, and it kind of sounds like it. But yeah, honestly, you could just say whatever you want, and I would believe you at this point. But I, I love that that, 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 that that when Modern Horizon Two came out, that was the card that people were like, "Oh, is this going to get bad?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Asmoreno it is weird that it's. Sorry, remind ahead. us, Patrick, why that card, why why these decks are not good anymore? Because Modern's a full creature format, and that card's really good in a creature so, deck. I think the argument initially was that. So what what happened in my kind of historical timeline of what happened after Modern Horizons two came out is those decks were really popular for like two weeks or whatever, and then people started people figured out blue red Merc Tide, and that just was a deck that had four lightning bolt to kill Asmo, whatever whatever it's called, and then the feasting troll kings were just getting eaten alive by unholy heat, and you just weren't winning. You couldn't keep on holy uh feasting troll king in play and like people were picking up engineered explosives and engineered explosive hasn't left the format at all like it's a really really popular and powerful card at the moment so i mean that card's pretty powerful against the asmo decks in general because you're trying to like you know you're trying to you can play it for zero block all that construct it also picks up the asmo it clears up all the um cookbooks as well which is pretty pretty devastating for the long-term plans i don't see any reason why it can't be a player in the format but um yeah, I don't. I don't think that. There's, I think there are better things going on at the moment, and it was a bit of a flash in the pan. But I, for, for, you know, I think the reason it dropped out in particular is because unholy he picked up in popularity, and that meant that you couldn't be like troll kinging people. And then the blue versions weren't actually as good as they looked on the cover. Mm. Yeah, I think the deck just died off. I mean, it. it... To me, it never really seemed broken. It just seemed so leaning heavily on the Asmo. And when it died, then and you the saga, leaned yeah. on the Urza. Yeah, you were on the Urza Saga, I mean. Yeah, so I feel like I think, that deck was just leaning on Urza Saga, to yeah. be honest. There was definitely just this period where people were just not quite prepared. How, how am I supposed to fight against this Urza Saga card? You know, this land that was a three-for-one. 
I made two threats. Like, I just people weren't quite ready for that to begin with, and so it had a, that was like the most powerful kind of degenerate shell for it essentially. But it turns out that you just put it in any deck, any deck that has like access to like one mana artifacts, and it's great. Have we lost Gab? Not me here. Oh, okay. Sorry. So, so you were dropping frames in the chat. Yeah, I think I think we're good. It was maybe a little lag. Oh, whatever. Okay, fine. All right. As people can see, I'm not uh, not at home. <laughs> Over in the US. But was there any other stuff in modern we want to go through? I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty comfortable yeah. with what we've got. I think we did a good job. I think job. we're good, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Cube. Gab, you played some Cube over the past weekend. Some yeah, charity week. event. Let us know. Yeah, it was a third annual Cube for Charity event organized by Jim Davis and Team Chabro. And it was 4v4 cube competition. Basically, you're just trying to rack up as many trophies on stream as possible over 48 hours. And for the third year in a row, I think Jabra won. I was the second time I was I was competing. Last year, uh, me and and Caleb kind of carried the carried the team, and I, I had a really good showing this year. It was a little rougher for me, but Caleb went went nuts again. So it was Caleb on the one on our team, and then Aria, aka Hawkpog, on the other team. She started off super strong, and thank God she slowed down a bit. So it was it was a ton of fun. We raised over thirty thousand dollars. We were playing each team was playing for their charity. We were playing for Doctor Without Borders, and we we both met our goal of fifteen thousand dollars. So that was awesome, and it's honestly so much fun. Getting to play vintage cubes is, you know, the vintage cubes really cool, and you get, you, but usually there's no really, no real purpose, and and having, you know, that extra competition was 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 really fun. Even though I will say, Caleb kind of gave us this early trophy lead of like three or four trophies, which we never, I don't think they ever got closer to free trophy. So we were coasting the whole time, and maybe I was not like as kind of drafting maybe too many blue decks. And not enough of the, you know, the good mono white. I actually ended ended uh, on a trophy was was one of the fir- first few mono whites that I had drafted over 48 hours. But uh, yeah, it was fun. The the one All thing right. that stood out to me, and then you can go, Pat, it was that I felt like my match were way tougher and there were le- way less freebies. There was still like blunders on my side, some big blunders from my opponents. But I felt like overall people's deck were just way more functional. And I wasn't getting too many of these free wins to like bad decks, bad mana base, etc. So I don't know if it's because people are getting better or because they curated the cube. You know, they keep curating the cube and maybe there's less bad, bad cards and people know they need to pick lands higher, etc. Probably a combination of, of a bunch of factors. So when I've, I've played a few cubes over the last, cube draft over the last week or so, and... I've really felt like I play against aggro decks much more than I have been in kind of over the last five years of holiday cube essentially, which I, you know, I don't admit I don't play a massive amount of, but you know every time every time it's Christmas time or whatever I'll fire up a bit and play. And do you think this is this cur- the, the way the way the queue's been curated? Because I never look at the list. I just I just jump in and play. The way the list has been curated has created more like depth for these ag- aggressive decks or is it that people are just realizing that like mono white's really good like i know that cedric phillips kind of just talks about how mono white's the most busted thing you can ever do and you know speaks in you know standard cedric hyperbole about 
you know this that of the you know about how his, his his success with this with his decks and it's the best thing you can possibly be doing but like is there this more depth to those archetypes now or are people just kind of realizing that they should probably stop if they want to win they they can do it in ways that aren't kind of storming and uh playing these like multicolored blue decks i think the the white deck's really strong i think the red deck is maybe slightly slightly worse but they're they're super solid. They're usually open. The the cube is is interesting. I think you mostly want to just decide what you want to first pick out of your pack and then kind of put your blinders on until proven otherwise. I'm not sure there's a ton of like I'm not sure the strat of trying to stay all open, this that really pays off. So these decks are just really powerful and Mono white is almost always open, and almost every one of my draft mono white and mono red were open because people just, you know, they want to draft their blue decks, their storm decks, their fun omnav decks, and you know they're not just there to try and win at all costs. But if you are, um, mono white is probably a really good choice. Apparently, there was a stat at some point that Manatite had a higher win rate than Black Lotus. I'm not sure if it's true or where it came from, but it could just be the correlation of. You know, people mostly playing Manatice and Monoite, and Monoite being the best archetype, and Manatice having a, a better win rate than, than Black Lotus. Yeah, um, maybe maybe these decks just benefited the most from getting the right creatures and them cycling out the, the bad ones. And now, yeah, it feels like every creature is just great. Something like Containment Priest is super busted. It stops a bunch of strats, especially Reanimator, and it combos with Parallax Wave, Parallax Wave, Flicker Wisp, and a few other creatures. So that 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 two drops super impressive. You got all the good one drops, and it's it's easy to draft. You know, it's it's hard hard to mess up. Whereas some of the blue decks might be a little trickier. You you can get a little lost. You know, when when you put the blinders on with something like Mono White, Mono Red, or Mono Green, which is ramp you know tons of elves you're hoping to get krill and stuff and the most important cost probably crater hoof could just instantly wins the game hopefully you get like either a natural order if you don't have devastation or both and these decks are just you know easy to draft fairly easy to execute i guess or maybe not but in the draft you know you're never you're it's almost impossible to mess up as opposed to something like a, a two or three color blue deck a storm deck etc in my most recent draft, I definitely I opened on Lotus and I wound up with a bit of a train wreck, train wreck Lotus deck for just the same reasons. I kind of littered around between various different things I could be doing. Like I kind of took a Yogmoth's will, being like, "Oh, cool, maybe I should be doing Storm things," and then was like, "Maybe I should be a multicolor you know, blue deck." And it just wound up never really falling into place. And I, I feel like if if I was just like, "Okay, I am doing mono white things," you could just never really go wrong. Like maybe you don't hit all the like absolute best cards you could possibly have for your deck in 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 the draft or whatever but at least you don't wind up with a deck that's kind of like straddling two strategies and never really like like finding a way to win co cohesively this exactly. is less, less less risk in these decks de decks i guess what about yeah, exactly. what, what else have you been enjoying like enjoying drafting in the cube like is there anything any new cards that have stood out to you that have been released in the last you know, since you last played this like charity event i guess I've really enjoyed playing the black reanimator decks, whether it's it's mono black or blue black. I used to think they were crap. I think it was I'm not sure if 
a lot has changed or if it was just small sample and me just getting paired against these black reanimator decks and them kind of either doing nothing or doing their thing and still losing. But that that was really good. Shout out to the Ludovic something genius. That card at last time around, I was like, why is that card even the cube? It always goes last big. What is it doing? What's going on? So it's a two free for blue and a black. It's a legend. Whenever it attacks or enters the battlefield, you mill one. So it has that self-mill effect. If you mill uh, a, a boom boom, you know, you get reanimated. It has okay stats. And then for four mana plus X, but X could just be one, you transform it, you exile a creature from your graveyard and transform it into a 4-4 that also had the abilities plus some counters for each creature you exile. So I think basically if you have a Grishad run in the sideboard in the graveyard and you pay five, you get a 5-5 five, five Ludovic with the Gristle Brand abilities. I never never got to really do anything with it, but it, it all of a sudden made a ton of sense and looked like, you know, solid cards. So that was that was one card. Another one is already new from the last time around, but Lelia, that card's just Ragavan. It's like Ragavan on, on steroids. That card's just so amazing. Is that the three-mana three mana haste creature? Yeah, it's a red and two. 2-2 two, two haste, whenever you attack, you exile a card, and you can play that card until end of turn. You have to pay the mana cost, obviously, but it can be a lands as well. And on top of that, anytime a card gets exiled from a library or graveyard, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So the turn attacks, it's a free, free haste, no question asks. Well, I guess you have to get to the attack set, but free, free haste, and then you play cards, and then if you have... I don't know, Delve, or it's, I had a Scavenging Shingu's at some point. I was exiling creatures from my graveyard. That card is so busted. I think it's my favorite card in the cube. It, it, it's it's just ridiculous. I think I have to like draft that card next time I see it now. That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started seeing some play in like, actual vintages, right? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, is it is it Legacy Illegal? It is legacy legal. It's I a figure. commander card. It's a commander. Yeah, I don't know at all what's going on legacy and vintage, but I would be surprised if that card saw a ton of play in either of these formats. It's it's obscene. It's like Ragavan's sister or something. But uh, yeah, so really enjoyed casting Lelia. Really enjoyed playing the Black Reanimator decks. I got lost a few times, you know, just trying to draft artifact. I I wish they supported artifact. Tiny bit more. It what's always a, feels what's so sort of artifact support. What sort of artifact support would you want though? Because I, I, artifacts is my, one of my favorite extra drafts in general in cube. But I, there's the cube that I played, the vintage cube that I played the absolute most has a few different like unique ish ways of going about drafting it. So what what are you kind of what do you what would you like to see them do to support artifacts more? One of the biggest problems with artifact is that there's not enough quantity. If you're playing mono white, mono red, mono green in almost every pack, if it's open, you're going to get a playable. You know, maybe, I don't know, seven out of eight packs, you're going to get a playable. Whereas our artifact, you just don't always get the right cards. You usually need to be two colors, so you need to, to get some, some fixing. Um, it's also not clear if you want to be blue red, blue black, Grixis, uh, depending on. If you get a card like Bellifull Strix or Goblin Welder, um, there's Good. a few cards that are pretty underwhelming too. The 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 red, the ready, the the four mana, the ready Planeswalker 
It looks like it should be good, but I feel like it's a little too awkward and clunky. So uh, I'm not too sure. The problem is you really want workshop too, but then sometimes you don't have enough artifacts because yeah, the 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 quantity is just not there. So just more more artifacts, I guess. Yeah. So my my friends my friends cube used to have the artifacts to be supported by like a lot of white cards. So like there was enlightened tutors and balanced were like you know, obviously they're like kind of cube staples, but they were really key parts I found of the uh, of the artifact deck. So not, it wasn't necessarily that you were like blue red like signets and wildfire. You were like signet. You're like ramp and land tax and low land count and Armageddon's and stuff like that. Yeah, that that was the prison deck that we, that was the artifact prison deck that we used to we used to draft a lot and was really well supported. That that's one of my favorite decks of all time that I ever draft is is that is my friend's mono white prison deck by prison artifact deck, so like with the workshop yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Completely agree with you that like some of that support, like, yeah. Every time you shave a shave a, a playable artifact, it just kind of makes it harder and harder and harder to kind of justify taking a card like Tolarian Academy or. Or particularly Mishra's workshop, or metal worker in particular as well. Yeah. And, also, the pay, and as the pay, as the payoff gets more, as like the big the big creatures for reanimator get more and more powerful in their colors, and less colorless broken ones. Like it used to be that like the best things you could possibly get were almost just colorless creatures because they were tinker targets, like you know Mere Battlesphere and Blightsteel Colossus and stuff like that. They were kind of worked as as well as part of the ramp. As the artifact deck, but now it's kind of like you know there's archons of cruelty and all this sort of stuff that you would rather you would rather reanimate. So they're fighting for space in the kind of expensive creature slots as well. Yeah. Yeah. Also, no one's going to take your Usher of the Fallen or your Rothalos if they're not exactly you know mono white or mono green. Whereas your Signets, highly highly prized by any mid range or control decks, these these are going to be you know picked by other archetypes so there's this whole thing where a lot of your really good cards people are going to want for their their mid-range or control decks as well cards like you know maybe a mana vault or signets etc etc yeah you're certainly fighting for the, the kind of like support spells pretty pretty heavily right yeah you drafted any cube harry um, I think that all the listeners know that my cube knowledge is probably worse than my standard knowledge, but... Wow, that is impressive. I mean, all I can say is that I have my free cube token sitting in my Magic Online account that I should uh, make an effort to use, and the last time I played cube was on paper at my local cube uh, community called Ben's Cube, so shout out to them, but nope, I don't, I don't really play cube. When I play, I force blue... Oh, or I force mono red. So I have any... this little meta where I, I normally force blue and then maybe one in 10 drafts, I'll force mono red and just uh, 3-0. Is there any clickbait value in, in cube drafting? Like, <laughs> no. Come watch the world's worst cube drafter. So there is a cube community on YouTube. If you really want to break this down, there's one cube YouTuber that I know is good. His name is Caleb Gannon, MTG. I know LSV and Reed and all that do really well on Channel Fireball, but cube content only i think it's caleb again and i believe uh, uh that's their name uh they kill it on youtube so i think there's a community if you want to do it but cube ain't my thing and i've no interest in it yeah but it does feel like they did a, a good job you know just tuning the cube and there's almost no bad quote-unquote bad cards left in the cube 
yeah, there's been enough release of cards over the last kind of like three or four years that it's been pretty hard for them to find a, a shit card to put in the cube. It's not like you have to put Carnophage in anymore. Yeah. Man. The days when like the vintage cube had this mono black aggro deck were just dark days. Like there's just 15 completely unplayable black cards. Yeah, I don't even remember. Was was Bad Moon in the cube at some point? Oh, pro- almost certainly. It was almost certainly in, in, in a pack with like seven other black cards that I would open. Just like I can't take any of these things. Yeah. No, but it was really fun. Shout out to everyone who supported the the event and in one way or another, whether you donated money or just watched the stream, hung out, tweeted about it, etc. So um, you know, big shout out to Jaybro, Jim, and Dan Bobes for doing almost all of the prep work and organization and it's their event and huge success and you know, the, the, the players, uh, obviously everyone, just a really fun event. Hopefully we get to run it back bigger and better next year. Definitely. Awesome. Anything else we wanted to cover on, this, on, on the cast? I know that last week we were talking about, um, well, we were talking about trying to like things to do for kind of like end of year wrap up or anything like that. But do, do you feel like doing any of that? I am totally ill-prepared Ill for an end-of-the-year yeah, wrap-up. That's completely fine. I'm happy to not do an end-of-the-year wrap-up. That's okay. I guess we could talk about kind of the exciting news of... Oh, yeah, Huey's job. Exactly. Yeah. Huey is going to be head or he's... Director of, of Director play of programs. play program, yep. So he's going to be hashtag what's his stuff. Hopefully, uh, bring us a great, uh, great organized play experience. I think it's not his entire job, part of his job, but yeah. So, I think his tweet got three thousand likes or something. Jeez. Yeah, Huey doesn't tweet a ton, but sometimes it just yeah. Anyways, people are obviously super excited. I know I talked to him a bit. You know he is, and obviously. You know, I guess people have expectations and have so you're saying they're saying there's a chance. Yeah. No, I'm I'm happy for him. Obviously um, one of my best friends. And um I don't know, it's exciting exciting stuff, you know. I, I feel like, you know, if, if he can do it, uh he's uh you know, was one of the smartest people I know too and just yeah. Yeah, um, if he if he can't figure out something that's like sustainable and um yeah, and, and engaging, then I, it's done. <laughs> it's done. But I really, I really, I'm really looking forward to it. And honestly, seeing that announcement was just, it just gave me that little bit of kind of like, oh, okay, cool. All right. This is not like a thing that is, you know, you know, competitive magic and tournament magic and organized play is not something that's completely gone. And, you know, we'll just re- reminisce about how good it was. Maybe something new yeah. will come of it. It's yeah. really quite an, encouraging, I think. Yeah. Someone in, in Twitch chat points out that, you know, mentioning companies, um, companies, uh, what is it? That companies now taking oh, over yeah, Magic that's Online. Right. They, um, that's right. They, they've basically given, sold the rights essentially for management to, um, to, to an external contracting company, which is actually how Magic Online started. I think Magic Online used to be run by an external company called Leaping Lizard Software. They made the original Modo program platform, maybe the first two, I think they made version one and version two as well, maybe 2.5 as well. 
And so it used to get managed externally, and that then once he took it over, it ran it in house. But now it's being outsourced again. And I don't know how the rest of you feel about that, but I think it's I think it's actually good news. It it means in one respect that uh, Magic Online is not going anywhere. Yeah, uh, you know, there's I've I've not heard of it. That's the first I hear of it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I think yeah, all the kind of like day to day operations and stuff is going to be transitioned over to this external company and they'll also be responsible for kind of running running programs off of it and running events and stuff so i think it scares me a little bit i feel like magic online is in a decent place i mean would we want way more out of magic online maybe but it's not i feel like it functions it does what it does well right i think now. That... I think that Watsi just wanted to dedicate their digital digital resources explicitly to Arena, and they're going to, you know, basically have someone else have someone else handle it. Maybe it means that nothing good happens, but like, according um, to Felix, he's saying that it's a company that, quote unquote, does end of life care for MMOs, and they usually run dying slash dead MMOs. Nice. Okay. Well, now maybe I'm less maybe I'm less happy about it now, but um. I don't know. I I feel like it just means that the thing's going to be around and 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 going for a lot longer, which I'm perfectly fine. I've fine about. I don't know when. You know, there's always been this talk of when is Magic Magic Online done, but they seem they seemingly have no plans of ever integrating the back catalog into Arena in a serious yeah. manner. So I think that I think it'll always exist, I, and it being run by a company that's actually like got resources to take care of it properly. I don't think that's that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, they they did announce more mocks to come right for the coming year. I feel like every yeah, the time whole, the whole Magic Online Championships have been every time. Again, they, yeah, yeah. Every year people are surprised that that event just actually you know persists. It's still here. The prize pool doesn't seem to go down. I mean, it's an insane grind to qualify. Sure, the the prize pool is kind of nice once you qualified, but it, it's it's so hard to, to, to get there. But yeah, I, I forget who, but I feel like I see that joke every year that's like, oh, someone who, whoever's in charge at the budget at Wizards didn't realize that uh, Mox was still a thing and it made it, it made it another year, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, as long as Magic Online is making money and another company is running it, there's no point in Watsy axing it, right? So... I think that it'll probably it's it's here to stay for a long time as long as people are playing it and what it seems like is people are playing it. So I, I'm not concerned at all. The only thing I would be worried about is bad choices, but I don't think a random company is the choice over PTQs and stuff like this. I presume they're just dealing with importing new cards in, right? That that would be my yeah. guess. That's all you but, gotta do with magical and kind of server maintenance and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm not worried. Let's let's be worried when they announce something stupid. How about that? Yeah, when yeah. they when they in, implement alchemy on on Magic Online, you'll know it's done. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I think that's about it for Magic news and and uh, this week. So why don't we do? Do we normally start the prices right or life on the line? Prices right. Prices. Yeah, okay. Sure. How about I, I've got a good card off the bat. What about we do Asmo? I was gonna say Lelia, actually, that commander card. Lele. Leolia, it's called. <laughs> yeah, L A E. It's like Bay, except it starts with an L. L A E L I A. Oh my gosh. 
Harry's like, what does that card do? We literally just spent 10 minutes talking about it. You yeah, probably, yeah, what, yeah. what does the card do, Harry? <laughs> You're a funny guy. Uh, but seriously, what does the card do, Harry? I I don't even know the casting cost. I don't even know what colors it is. <laughs> Classic so... Harry is just like, <laughs> like, oh, they're not talking about modern time to go like. It must be white weenie. I'm going to guess white weenie. Close. Yeah, uh, it is kind of an aggressive creature, but you didn't even get the color right. Oh damn! Okay, I I get. Well, I don't know the price of it. It's commander. I can put a price in my head. Yeah, I literally have no idea what these commanders are. <laughs> are worth a rarity? Yeah. Like how rare it is? If it's like kind of equivalent of mythic, I've literally no idea. So it's gonna be. I guess a good thing is. I was oh, gonna say you only. I gonna say you only need one, but. If it's actually good in vintage and legacy, maybe. So I've give me a second while I figure out how much I want to bid. I I've actually played with this card before. <laughs> Incredible, but you still don't know what it does. It's remarkable. No, no, I see it in chat now. I've got it now. <laughs> All right, I've got I've got a number. Yeah, I've got a number too. Okay, three, two, one. Twenty-five. Fifteen euro. I put six. Oh, uh, what I the hell? Shot it. I guess I'm feeling bad. <laughs> I really like the Gabrak seriously considers this. I just kind of pull a number out of thin air. Price trend for the past thirty days on CardMarket.com for Layla is six euros twenty-seven. Wow! Yeah. Harry, the closest Bloody, that's wow. going over. Yeah. This is unprecedented. I was so biased because I like that card so much and it's so good. I was like, yeah. I, I was might... going to start at 40 and I was like, no, nah, it's like almost a price. It might be 25 after this podcast. <laughs> so go get them on Card Market if you're desperate for some near mint Layla's. Incredible. Laylia? No, it's Laylia. I didn't even know if it was a rare or a mythic. <laughs> it's a rare, but it's in a commander set. So oh, you have to yeah. buy the the set to, to get it, I'm guessing. Right. So it's worth like a fraction of the cost, some percentage of the cost of the deck. Okay. Yeah, I'm guessing. Right. But um, yeah, so I guess we should do life on the line now. Thanks, God Market, for that one, though. Yeah, appreciate you. I don't for think those... it's really very fair that Harry's able to win with a card that he doesn't know what it does. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I used my logic. You said commander card, and I know how much these cards will be good yeah, for. Yeah, that's my I... problem. I have no idea what I like a random commander goes for. Yeah. Normally, it's a, it's normally one banana. Commanders... How much can it cost, Gab? Yeah. yeah. Commanders work like this. The commander is normally the most expensive card because people don't want to buy the pre-cons to build a deck around the commander. And then every commander pre-con has like three foil cards in the deck where the foil cards are generally the most OP. So if the card's only foil, I think it's like generally like the most expensive behind the commander. That's my knowledge anyways. But um. Yeah, you know anyway, yet you don't know what Layla the Blade Reforce does. Yeah, yeah, I used to be a commander, commander kind of casual before before my competitive days. But anyways, life on the line for those who are listening, don't know what it is. Segment at the end of every episode, got to pick a deck list for each format we've talked about today. Tournament tomorrow, when you live, lose, you die. We're going to just do modern only, I guess. Um, I'm going to be playing. Um, ooh, what am I going to be playing? You know what? Screw it. I'm going to go for this uh, red-white path slash ending slash um, 16 one-drop deck with, with the uh, light at the stage and also the fiery impulse, I believe it was called. So Reckless, that, yeah. Reckless impulse, my mistake. That deck looks really good, and uh, I think it will go under people. Tough one for me this week. 
the fall would be Grixis Shadow, but that that list does look pretty good. The red list. You know what? I'm gonna go with you, Harry. Incredible, incredible. You would go with you would choose <laughs> choose to go with Harry. Now what? You're gonna I go with like a white martyr, Pat? I do like. Yeah, I definitely just play <laughs> straight out all, all pro red creatures. No, I actually think I'm gonna play blue red Merktide with the blood moons in it. I I just think that that's good and. The more people are kind of going into this like that low you know low burn spell prowess deck i think i think you're probably pretty good against that sort of stuff um i i like having access to blood moon against decks like death shadow and i'm very comfortable playing the deck as well so i think that deck's still a good choice and perfectly reasonable sweet so i guess that kind of wraps up this episode as always at the end of every episode gab where can we find you on the internet yeah Twitter at Gad Nassif, twitch.tv slash yellowhat, and I also have a YouTube channel, yellowhat. Sick. You can find me anywhere on the internet at HerimTG, but more specifically, I've been uploading so frequently on YouTube. Go check it out, HerimTG. And if you're looking to get into Magical Line, I just made a full intensive tutorial, uh, everything you need to know about Magical Line on my channel. Go check that out. And also go check out Gab's channel for content too. Uh, I know he said it, but... If we're going to shout out mine extensively, might as well do Gab's. Pat, what about you? You can find me enjoying this well-earned time off. I might yeah, stream yeah. some point in the next couple of days. Oh, nice. Sick. Yeah. Sick. Awesome. Where, where, what's your Twitch? Oh, yeah. Twitch.tv slash GetSmart, of course. You can find Sweet. me anywhere on the internet is GetSmart. What they okay. call Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you made it this far into the episode, as always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your support. And hopefully we'll all see you next week. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Yeah, have a great end of the year and yeah. see you later. Take care, happy everyone. Happy New Year, everyone.